0: This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews.
1: James Wallace. Now, Leila, I need to uh, make an apology because when you interviewed James Wallace, as will become woefully apparent later in this episode, I wasn't there.
0: It was it was very entertaining and James was brilliant and I think we just about coped. It was a shame that we missed you. I think
1: but, I think it probably is all the better for not having me in it. Yeah. I've listened to it and it's great. Oh. Re- I think this is going to be a great episode. But
0: we will find places for you so that it's not just a weird ruleless episode.
1: Maybe I could record myself making interjections. <laughs> yeah, that'd be
0: great. <laughs> yeah, but James, Actually, tell us more about this. <laughs> so Pretend so, that you are.
1: <laughs> if you hear any of those, <laughs> I put them in. If myself. it suddenly
0: goes silent, there's no background noise and Rue sounds really loud. <laughs>
1: Well, let the episode begin.
0: (laughs) Go. Uh, So I'm here with uh, James Wallace. Didn't you win a world record for playing Dungeons and Dragons? Can you tell us about that? Because that's brilliant.
2: 1986. I and a a group of a large team of others, because these things do take quite a lot of coordination. We took the Guinness World Record for non-stop Dungeons & Dragons. We set it at 84 hours, which is three and a half days of continuous play. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did it to raise money for Live Aid, or... Band-Aid? Live Aid. Live Aid, which was the thing of the year. We raised about five grand. Oh, yeah. Um And the record stood for all of about two months until it was broken by an American team who, it turned out, were playing to different rules, different Guinness oh. conditions... Um, and we protested to Guinness, and Guinness kind of went, oh, well, probably best to just retire the whole category and sweep it under the carpet then. So uh, that was a bit of a disappointment. But still, 84 hours, and we got in the book, and uh, um, I wouldn't recommend playing really any game for 84 hours. It does really diminish your enjoyment of the game uh, and cause you to have homicidal thoughts about the other players. So
0: um, you have quite a kind of long history of role playing really don't you and now you've turned it into a career for yourself which
2: oh, God. it just kind of—it be- became a career yeah. almost without me noticing um, I was looking back through one of my old fanzines from the mid 80s and there's a little editorial where I go no I don't want to be a professional games designer I'm destined for far greater things oh. uh, hubris <laughs> but uh, yeah it's, while I was at school uh, while I was at university I just started writing for games magazines um, then when I left university I Uh, went over to the States for a bit uh, ended up at a trade show and someone offered me a book deal writing Mm -hmm. a game book and I thought well why not and what was uh, that
0: game book it was
2: called Mutants in Avalon it was um, it's set in a post-apocalypse the idea is some unspecified disaster has happened. The whole world has gone to crap. Most of the humans have died. Mm. The animals have mutated into humanoid form. And uh, it was... Hate it, when that happens. It was based on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, which uh-huh. was huge at the time. Mm. And they'd, they'd had this book platened, and the author dropped off, and they came to me and said, oh, well, this one's set in Britain. Can you write it? It's the standard background. Owen King Arthur's back. <laughs> so, um, so I wrote six thousand words of... Nonsense, though pretty good nonsense, mm-hmm. I think. There's some good, very good jokes in there, uh, and I'm quite pleased with some of the stuff that we came up with. And then there was a sequel to that called Means in Orbit, and uh, at that point someone at Puffin phoned me up and said, would you like to write some solo adventure game books? We've just got the Sonic the Hedgehog license. So I wrote some nonsense about Sonic the Hedgehog for them, and then Virgin came along and said, you do Sonic the Hedgehog nonsense, we've got the novel rights so I did some oh, Sonic the yeah. Hedgehog nonsense with them as well. Um,
0: these Sonic books, we should say, were kind of choose-your-own-adventure, is that right? They were that sort of the, format? Or?
2: The Puffin ones were choose-your-own-adventure, okay. they were 300, 350 paragraphs. The Virgin ones were straight fiction, mm. which was... You can't really novelise Sonic, to be honest. It's difficult to no, really difficult to novelise a platform game, so right. we, we had a hard time coming up with... Uh, with some plots. And there were, there were three of us working on it. They needed four books in four months. Mm. So I wrote two of them, and a guy called Carl Sargent wrote two of them, and, uh, a third guy, Mark Gascoigne, who's now running Angry Robots, the science fiction imprint, mm. uh, edited the two of them to make sure they were consistent, okay. and, and put in some better jokes. I've right. banged the drum for old school tabletop role play, mm. though that, that is a dying market now. Mm. There's still, a You know the hardcore remains, and there are conventions and and stuff. But it's not a way to earn a living, or at least not a living worth talking about. But it's fun. It's publishing.
0: It's not not, at the moment. It's not as fashionable as it once was. You'd say, or is that? Well, I
2: think Uh the thing is that computers have finally got to the stage where they can do the that stuff really well Mm. Uh, or they can do certain elements of that stuff Mm. and role playing games rather than taking a step back and going well we should put our focus therefore on the stuff that we do really well, that the face to face games do really well, like the imaginative stuff, the collaborative play, the social elements have instead gone no we need bigger monsters and stuff and you can't compete against God of War and the likes of that for that kind of, of and World of Warcraft for that kind of of impact. Once you've been in a world of 25 person World of Warcraft raid, 40 person World of Warcraft raid, going up against a major demon for a slap fight that'll take 30, 40 minutes, there is nothing in tabletop roleplay that can compare to that.
1: Mm.
2: So, the, the trouble with the, the main, the bulk of the roleplay industry, the tabletop industry, is that it's fighting the wrong battle and mm. losing it badly. But there are some fantastically exciting and interesting games out there that don't require huge amounts of preparation and 300-page rule books.
0: Mm.
2: Clever, fast-playing, intelligent role-playing games, like like my own Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen game.
0: Tell us about that, then. How does that work?
2: The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen is basically a game of competitive lying. Uh Uh, Baron Munchausen was this semi-fictional figure. He did exist, uh, but has been fictionalised since he died. And he told that he was renowned for his after-dinner stories, basically nice. these extraordinarily inflated stories of, of his own adventures and exploits around the world, um, which were collected in an anthology in the late, 18, late 1700s by a guy called Rudolf Rasp, um, who was German. He was an itinerant librarian who would uh, go to. Big uh, country houses, big aristocrats' uh, places. I will do your library. I will, I will organise your collection. And actually, what he'd do is he'd nick bits of it and then flee before the thing could be discovered. And eventually, ran out of places he could do this in Germany. Came to Britain, came to England. Wrote the extraordinary, uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, uh, which has been in print ever since. Uh, And the game is essentially—it's you are a collection of of noble people from around the same time as Baron Munchausen, and you are competing to tell the most outlandish, extraordinary, and funny story. Mm. So the game is essentially, someone tells you to challenge uh, challenges you to tell a story. I would turn to you and say, Baroness Layla of, of Penge, I've heard many amazing tales of your exploits around the world but the story I've always wanted to hear from your own lips is the one of the time you accidentally impregnated the Pope Right, and you then have to tell that story but everyone else can also interrupt okay and throw objections in in your post you were saying you were in Venice on a Sunday but it's well known that Venice is closed on a Sunday how did you get past the security guards and and (laughs) so on and so forth and and each story takes about five minutes to tell Mm. and then there's a little little bidding mechanism uh, and a voting mechanism at the end it's two pages of rules, which, of course, you can't... It's difficult to sell two pages of rules. Mm. So it's dressed up with um, a lot of, of fluff around it. Mm. Um, the thing is, the extraordinary thing is, I'd been a games designer and, and publisher for... Let me get the time scale right. For about three or four years. I'd been running a publishing company, pub, two published games, for so three or four years when I became aware that in almost exactly contemporary with Baron Munchausen himself there had been this London firm John and Edward Wallace Mm. publishers of games they uh, were one of the first people to do jigsaw puzzles Um, their games were very traditional for the time they were um, basically uh, race games chase games of the um you roll a, a, a dice or, Except it wouldn't have been a dice It would have been a, a teetotum Because dice were associated with gambling And polite houses didn't right. have them So you rolled a teetotum And moved that number of squares And did what the square said And they were very successful um, And so I've done some digging And, and yes I am related to them oh, wow. So bizarrely it appears That game, games design or games publishing May be genetic on, on some <laughs> level but anyway, so I'm then going through the family papers, and look, oh my goodness, it appears that John Wallace did meet Baron Munchausen and commissioned a role-playing game from him. What are the odds against that? So, of course, I had to publish it, and that's what allowed me to, to pad the two-pages rules out to a initially a 32-page book, a large-format book. It's now a 128-page okay. small-format book.
0: And where
2: can we buy this is it it's on amazon or? Uh, it's on amazon um any good specialist game shop uh, will either have it in stock or be able to get it for you you can buy it uh as a pdf from drive-through rpg okay. or i've brought a copy with me that you can give away to one of your lucky really? listeners one one copy one copy This That's is a deluxe edition oh. The deluxe gentleman's edition they have the limited edition hardback there's only a thousand of these
0: Oh, isn't it lovely? It's, is this is this leather? This it's leather effect. Leather effect, and it it works well, <laughs> effective enough. <Leather. laughs> it looks like, and it's got kind of lovely gold embossed writing on it, and it's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, Hard back. It. Sort of smells, sort of smells like leather. um. Fady. Is uh, is there a bit that you want to read from this? That is that going to oh, be useful? If you, if you give me, me get, a moment I'll
2: yep. I'll find a bit. Does
0: it contains stories? This this book then, it
2: kind it? of contains stories it contains ideas for stories the, yeah. um, the, the lines for starting stuff off actually this is the expanded edition which contains to uh, an expansion to the basic games for telling Arabian style stories in the style of Sinbad uh, and a separate game called My Uncle the Baron mm. uh, which is intended for children the inbred and the very drunk right uh, which is which is much simpler which is one line stories
0: oh that's good.
2: Here's a bit I could read. This yeah. is the, the play of the game section. My, uh, this is as written by Baron Munchausen himself. Mm-hmm. My game is a simple one. The players sit around a table, preferably with a bottle of a decent wine or an interesting liqueur to moisten their throats, and each takes a turn to tell a story of an astonishing exploit or adventure. The subject of the tale is prompted by one of the others, and the rest of the company may interrupt with questions and observations as they see fit, and which it is the task of the tel- tale's teller to rebut or avoid. When all are done, he who has told the best story buys drinks for his companions, and, the players being suitably refortified, the game may begin again. The inspiration for my in-gamification of this ancient and noble pursuit comes not from a ritual I witnessed amongst the tribes of the Amazon River, as I have claimed in the past. Their game, I am reminded by several noted authorities, is more along the lines of spillikins. In my defence I confess that the tribesmen had forced me to consume a great quantity of sage and onion prior to roasting me, and my senses were confused but instead from a memorable evening I spent in a coaching inn outside St. Petersburg in the late winter of 17 dash Myself and several other travellers, many of us adventurers and soldiers of great renown, had been caught by a sudden blizzard and forced to spend the night in the same inn. However, being suddenly crowded, the inn had fewer beds than patrons'. Having firstly allowed the ladies of the company to retire to sleep, the gentlemen agreed to a contest to see who would receive the remaining unoccupied rooms and who would be forced to seek their repose in the stables, or worse, with the servants. Accordingly, we sat down to a contest, or wager, and when it was discovered that none of the company had cards, dice, totems, or backgammon board among them, we agreed to a contest of stories. Each man among our number took a turn to ask the neighbour on his right hand to recount one of his most extraordinary adventures, and the others of us then tested the tale on the wheels of veracity, credibility and laudability. When all was done, a vote was taken, and I, by sheer cunning, came fifth. This position exiled me to a tiny attic garret, the location of which allowed me to sneak out when the rest of the company was asleep to spend the rest of the night warm beneath the counterpane of the Duke of N's daughter, whose beauty and proximate room number I had noted before the game began. Herein lies one of the central principles of the pastime I will shortly describe, and the core of its philosophy. It counts not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game.
3: I'm in, in mainframe. I'm in
0: your headphones. Well, and on the subject of that book, we have got a copy to give away. So um if a listener buys the tape of this episode oh gosh let's say gosh the first one that we sell perhaps yeah that's that a great clear? idea then you'll get a free copy of The Adventure Book which is a beautifully bound hardback black book it's a proper book pretend leather uh leatherette yes <laughs> leatherette um and uh, and it's and it's very funny and it's got loads of fun stories and stuff in it so it uh, you will enjoy that and we've also got to give away which we really doesn't know a copy of um Another book that James's publishing company has produced for Dragon Warriors, which Ooh. is the reissue of Dragon Warriors, and there's a sort of monster book thing that goes with that, or creature book, or whatever you call them. Very cool.
1: Nice. And, it's a,
0: and it's a massive hardback thing, and again, it's very funny and very well written. And, and I have a copy myself that James gave me once. So and so, how
1: do they good. get that book? They they just ask us for that. do Ooh, they? How many know. of what those do you have you got?
0: think? We, I've only got one of each oh, thing. Oh, blimey! How can we do this? Maybe we need to. Maybe we need some kind of competition. Well, the,
1: the one that Andy Riley used what? Quite well, which is how many fingers am I holding yeah, up? Yeah,
0: I know, because we think of something similar but not exactly the same. How
1: many feet am I holding up?
0: Okay, how many feet is Rue holding up? I'll just wait for him to get into position. Okay, there we go. If you can guess correctly, then you will win a copy of Dragon Warriors, the re release, um, by I think it's David Morris wrote that, and some other people produced by Magnum Opus Press, which is James Wallace's publishing company, and the creature Bible thing that goes with it, and we'll post it to you. So, cool. Out of our own pockets. Yeah, or out of the chiffon stop kitty. The lovely kitty.
3: We're back. It's snack time, and and we're looking we're looking at some snacks that are hanging around in the UK at the moment. Just just for a bit of a change, we're having a staycation <laughs> from um, a snack staycation from for, from uh, from around uh, around the world at eighty snacks. The big beverage news that everyone's been looking forward to for for months, if not years, apparently. Mountain Dew will be returned to the UK within within a matter of weeks. Uh I've relaunched as new Mountain Dew, and I, 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 I Are you fans of? of I like Mountain the, the Dew. Yeah, I've never had it.
0: I've never had it. I know. I understand it's popular amongst the nerd community.
1: Yeah, that's probably why I've tried it. And <laughs> I remember being in America and uh, and really enjoying being able to get hold of it very mm-hmm. easily. And yeah, there was, they've got different flavors. They,
3: they have. They have. A, they have about eighteen flavors of is Mountain Dew in the original, United States. they
0: an original flavor. That
3: well, the, it's you, to taste you, it's, I'm not sure what it's supposed to taste. Of. It's, green stuff. Yeah, it's like a green cola hmm. it's oh,
2: right. it's
3: not it's not it's not a particularly fruity drink but obviously with with the days literally counting down until new mountain dew uh, arrives in the uk what can the energy drink addict use to keep their spirits up in those intervening seconds and uh, this is this is this is what i found uh, in the supermarkets recently mm-hmm. let's kick off with Lucasaid light this is a fifty-calorie lemon and lime sport drink, mm-hmm. and, it uh, looks and green. oh, well, he's, he's cracking it open. He's gonna, he's gonna pour it out into some little. Ooh. It says it's got uh, fluid and electrolytes.
0: Mm. Oh,
3: thank goodness! Mm.
0: It tastes like
3: flat Seven Up or something. Oh, oh, it does. Yeah, this is the lemon and lime version. There's also a summer berry one, which gives us a bit of a seasonal theme. Yeah. That um. Uh, well, we'll I'll, I'll attempt to extend throughout the thread, although not very successfully. Does it, so, there's only 50 calories in the entire bottle. Well, 10 calories per 100 ml. And actually, that's quite remarkable because Luka's, I'm sure, would be tremendously healthy. Uh, although it's absolutely packed with sugar, it's got much more sugar in it than uh, than I think colas and even and even Nature's <laughs> Orange Juice. <laughs> so clearly, clearly, the energy drink market has uh, has been a huge growth area over the past year. And uh, missing out on it so far have been starbucks but now wow it's a seattle latte from starbucks
0: it looks like a takeaway cup with seattle latte in on and it. it's got a straw set of taped to the side she's yeah. quite excited
3: this is a uh, this, this is what they're calling a a ready to drink uh starbucks which you can as opposed to a normal starbucks <laughs> that you have to well it's like pizza express okay. you can get them from supermarkets
0: Presumably, there's more Starbucks around than there are supermarkets. Than there
3: are supermarket. Well, and and also it's cheaper. And like currently, it's on introductory offer at about a pound. And you know, and because I it's summer, be nice. this is this is this is like one of their one of their frappuccinos or um, yeah. So you're
0: supposed to enjoy it cold i guess. It's mm-hmm. quite sweet. It feels quite cold. Is it is
3: it insulated do you think? No, well it was, mm-hmm. it was cold because it was in my fridge. It's just in a little mm-hmm. paper cup. I don't mm-hmm. lo- normally like coffee, mm-hmm. but this is very
1: sweet mm-hmm. and almost to the extent of being like a um one of those sort of galaxy mm. chocolate drinks
3: or like yeah. a Mars. <laughs> mm. It's creamy, isn't it? Yeah, it's thick. <laughs> it's 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 made it's made with your UHT milk, so it should uh it should keep in the fridge uh, quite for quite nice. a bit. And um yeah, currently in Sainsbury's for just a pound. Wow which is obviously a mere fraction of yeah. what of what of what you can pay for just looking <laughs> <laughs> uh, across the counter in a um in a normal Starbucks, if I actually ran a Starbucks, I would be dashing out and buying these, and then yeah, and then and then selling it, selling it, selling it them for a couple of quid. Um, and I, I think there are there are like three or four other flavors. There's a caramel latte, which mm. again is uh, has a, has a, has a bit of a sort of toffee, um, even sweeter. Uh, it, it is a, bit, a little bit sweeter, but also detracts a bit from the um, from the fact that it's UHT milk. And then there's a kind of mocha chocolate one with again a, a made up Aztec name in front of it, <laughs> and the mocha one is 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 really alarmingly strong but and, and <laughs> other tipples that you might might enjoy sitting in a park on a summer's day if you'd like to take the edge off the tremble induced by the caffeine uh, now, now this of course the, the 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 other the other big hits of, uh, of recent summers have been the fruity ciders and um now this like Bulma's
1: the pear mm-hmm. pear cider but, is oh
3: Bulma's a- pear well, and then and then people started adding other flavors to them <clears throat> And this is from Gamers. This is perhaps one of the fruit, one of the most alarmingly fruity ciders I've tried in this summer or any other. Yeah. Oh, it's got a nice purple, pink tinge to oh, it. In. Yeah, go on. That's like you can hear it sort of frothing in the cup. Oh, that's.
0: It's really, sweeter
3: than Red Bull. That's it's incredible. It's Really
0: berry. It's really, it's not. It's barely cider at all.
3: Or oh, as, as they say on the back Sheesh. Pear cider Blended with the juice And flavours Of real blackberries stru- Strawberries And blackcurrants It's
0: like drinking Undiluted Fizzy Blackcurrant squash it's, it's Yeah if
3: you took some Ribena And put it in a soda stream mm-hmm. Without any water
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bloody hell um, And
1: that's 4% alcohol You wouldn't know it, would uh, Yeah Oh wow
3: <laughs> It's so tart. <laughs> you, you, you could not but I, yeah. I compare it very much like, um, uh, for, for the uh, for the listeners, uh, it, It's uh, I find it very evocative of blackcurrant chews. Chew It. Uh, yes. That, yes. that flavour. going on, yep. It has that alco-pop quality.
0: I thing.
3: must say, I'm a big
1: Bacardi Breezer fan. That's something that I, mm-hmm. I can drink a lot of. And mm-hmm. uh, I think this might be added to my barbecue list. Really? The, uh, the oh, you I be out there. there. The more Knocking I drink of
3: it, pet.
0: the easier it gets, actually. It's, <laughs> it's a bit of a surprise to start with, just how... Very and, sweet is. and how
3: how unsiderish? Yeah. yeah, well, you could mix that fifty fifty with vodka and it'd be delicious. <laughs> oh,
0: you got any vodka <laughs> fifty
1: with vodka. You can't have your vodka cocktails too weak. You've got to get a nice nice slug of vodka in there.
3: Apparently not. So, so yeah, so <laughs> no, look, look out look out for other exotic um, fruity ciders uh, coming coming this summer. I think uh, Brothers, who are another one of these um, pear cider like um, uh, companies. Uh, are, are threatening to do one that, that, that they, they've called the the Tutti Frutti that was allegedly inspired last year where they saw their customers mixing together their apple cider, their pear cider, their toffee apple cider and something that is based on berries as well and who'd have thought that that, like, uh, this is like this, <laughs> is, this is like mi- mixing all the paints together at primary school <laughs>
0: us a bit about game camp because you're involved in organizing it aren't you and it's it's a big deal in london it's coming up probably probably in a few days
2: game camp it's mm. the second game camp the first one was organized a couple of years ago by the guardian this one's more kind of bbc based mm-hmm. and it's essentially it, it's based on the foo camp model if if that means anything to anyone except 150 geeks in san francisco Who it basically it's, it's it's a self-organizing conference okay uh, the idea is you just there are no scheduled speakers there's no keynote addresses anything like that. you just turn up and if you've got something you want to talk about you write it down on on the big board there are oh, yeah. time slots and then you um, and you and
0: take a picture of the board and put it on Flickr and everybody looks at it. I've seen
2: all these do. boards. You all, <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and if people are interested in talking about this stuff with you or listening to what you have to say, then they'll turn up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, a, so it's a free-for-all. And it's a great leveller as well. It doesn't matter if you're the great and the good or someone fresh out of college. Right. Everyone is treated, everyone's views are treated with equal weight.
0: Yeah. And it's it's sold out, isn't it? It's is sold only
2: 150. Out. We, we had an error with the online ticketing system. We were supposed to release the tickets in three tranches, and in fact, they all went oh online no. simultaneously and sold out in half an hour. Right, which is is pretty good. There is a, a returns system. Mm. Uh, we're looking for people people who can't go up putting their their tickets back into the system, and there is a waiting list. So. If this is the first you're hearing about GameCamp, there is a chance that you may be able to still, still make it. And
0: it's just one day in It's
2: one day. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a full day thing. Um, someone's putting up breakfast. So we, we sponsor breakfast. Pizza Express is sponsoring lunch. Or sponsoring pizza anyway right. um, so yeah it's
0: and at the moment you don't you don't know who's going to be speaking at all or
2: we no. know who's coming but right. we don't know who's speaking. okay whether they decide to speak or not or whether they just decide to kind of have a day off and, and shove their awe into other people's talks, we'll find out. I also I run a games consultancy called mm-hmm. space which yeah. is what it's called it's got a space with three A's in the middle. Uh, which allows me to stand up at conferences and go, Hi, I'm James, I come from space! <laughs> and it, for it to be true... Um, there's not very much at, at space.com other than boring agency stuff, but I also run a tabletop games publishing company mm-hmm. called Magnum Opus Press, which strangely enough is magnumopuspress.com, and we do The Extraordinary Adventures of Baron Munchausen, and we also do The Dragon Warriors role-playing okay. game, which is an old-school British fantasy RPG uh, it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but better, not least because it's all in one book instead of having to shell out for three. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I dare say that there's people out there who remember Dragon Warriors fondly from their, their teenage years. It came out in the mid-80s by Dave Morrison, Oliver Johnson. It has a cult following around the world. We simply we did a new edition. We combined all the original material into one book. Uh, and we're releasing supplements for it. And that, you know, that ticks over.
0: One of the things that I always think of when I think of you is a uh, talk that you gave a couple of years ago at Interesting or Playful. It was interesting, um, yes. Interesting. And um, it, the slides were online, I think, somewhere, and there was quite a lot of interesting stuff about the origins of these branching narrative type stories. Oh, that stories. talk. Sorry, um, I,
2: thought, sorry. I, I thought you were going to be asking about mapping the World of Warcraft.
0: Although that was interesting too. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, maybe you can briefly summarise both of those things because I think they're that yeah, both really I, interesting. Yeah, I
2: had for about two and a half years, I had a fairly serious World of Warcraft addiction. <laughs> and one of the things that I did, because when I go into a game, I don't typically play it the way it's meant to be played, <laughs> was I I looked at this extraordinary virtual world, and I went, well, how big is it? Because none of the locals have scales of measurement. No one ever says that anything is... There's a couple of spells who's... who uh, radius is men- measured in yards, Okay. but we've no idea if that's the same yard that we use on on Earth. So how big is this thing? So I worked out how you measure it, which you, you take a, the human male who you can estimate will walk at three and a half miles an hour, and you just walk them in straight lines, and that becomes your ruler, and you can then transpose that to different uh-huh, parts okay. of the world. Um, and it works out that the world of Warcraft is about the same size as Newcastle or the London borough of Hillingdon, <laughs> and which is not really very big, except that there's this big debate going on about whether it's flat or, or a sphere there's various places in the world where you can you can see it as a sphere the people have globes of it mm. you map it onto a globe um the whole thing with the oceans and everything else and it's a sphere with let me get this right i think it's it's either an 11 mile or an 11 kilometer diameter mm. but yet it's got earth gravity which means it must be incredibly dense <laughs> so it has all kinds of Extraordinary implications for the way that gravity works and where it sits in the universe and all the rest of that. Plus, there's the fact that the sun rises in the northwest, ascends to the center of the sky, then uh, descends and sets in the northwest, followed by the moon, which does exactly the same thing. And so what's going on there? You know, it, it can't be orbiting. Nothing's orbiting anything. <laughs> so, uh, so that was fun. That made an interesting, interesting little talk. But no, that, yes, the stuff about the origins of, of, the solo game book the interactive narrative the very first interactive narrative so far as I can track it back would seem to have its roots in an experimental French literature group from the 1960s called Oulipo, which produced writers like Italo Calvino and Raymond Quano and Georges Perak who you know big stars in, in their own right but an awful lot of Really interesting other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they were a lot of them. They weren't professional writers, or they didn't start off as writers. They were mathematicians. They were scientists. Um, Marcel Duchamp actually was was one of the first uh, one of the first non French. Um, I think he was the only American, Ulipo uh, member. People think about Duchamp as being the great Dadaist artist. actually yeah. He gave up art to become a professional chess player. People don't know <laughs> that, but. The central tenet of Oulipo was essentially that any idiot can write a book, and a lot of idiots do. In order to make writing more interesting, you have to set yourself constraints, you have to set yourself limits. So um, the most basic thing they would do is, would, would be to uh, do a lipogram, which is to say, OK, we're going to do a work, but it can't include a particular letter Georges Perec, did a book called a um, in, in French La Disparation in English translated as A Void which doesn't have the letter E in it anywhere and it's about <laughs> a world in which something ubiquitous but unnameable has just vanished away yeah. which of course is the letter E fantastic book <laughs> then as an encore because he was a bit of a show off he did a, a short story in which the only vowel is the letter E <laughs> Les Révenants in French uh, also translated bizarrely and masterfully into English as the Exeter Text Jewels, secrets, sex. And it's almost unreadable because all you get in your head is this E sound just hammering away at you. So that's the kind of thing that they were doing, playing around with that, looking for different ways to construct fiction. And Raymond Quano, in I think 1967, wrote a thing that he called A Story as You Like It, which starts off with uh, Would you like to hear a story about three green peas? Uh, For yes, turn to paragraph two. For no, turn to paragraph four and this so far as i can tell is the very first application of this kind of this numbered paragraph system that mm. went on to become the root behind the fighting fantasy books the choose your own adventure books and you know yeah, the root the of enemy it. and and <laughs> and of course the superlative enemy of chaos Applied to fiction, it had been used before. IBM had used it in computer manuals, uh-huh. but simply as a navigation device. Right. Simply as a, if you need to know more about why your program has just crashed, turn to page. Oh, 67. that's interesting. Yeah,
0: but it, in a way, it is the it's the go to command. <laughs> it's the
2: go. It is the go to command. Yes, and that really, when we talk about interactive narrative, is the game changer. It's the fact that you are the active party in the in the story. The story mm-hmm. chain conforms to what you want whether you're actively leading the protagonist or seeing through the protagonist's eyes and performing their actions by wiggling a joystick mm. or whatever else, or doing something more oblique, like you're changing the atmosphere of the story, changing the tone of it, changing the environment, um, putting things in the protagonist's way, whether it's aids or obstacles.
0: Mm.
2: That's, that forces a complete reshaping of the way that narrative works.
0: Well, I think I always have this sort of theory that, especially with children's stuff... There's something quite empowering about about seeing yourself in something because children are so in society they're just kind of a group rather than individuals. are so often g-
2: ignored to... or just kind of pushed into, as you say, pushed into a group by mm. the adult world. Yeah. So to be given anything that kind of affirms their identity mm. and their place in, in the world is is very empowering. And this was true in the 70s before there were video games with yeah. tabletop games with Dungeons and Dragons. People who previously who felt, you know, they had no power in their lives and they were mm. looking for a role or a purpose or something and then well, suddenly found a way of doing that mm. through the medium of play, imaginative, uh, narrative-based play.
3: computers. The other great thing about, uh, of course, uh, spring coming around is that you may also get bargains on winter ciders. And uh, that's what I've been warming up in the microwave here <laughs> this is from Sweden it says uh, "Recorded lid winter cider so
0: uh, hot or cold
3: lovely it? yeah apple cinnamon and vanilla that
0: sounds quite nice
3: so we have got we've got we've got some of this in this mug here do you want to do want, I mean we, can, like, we de- can pour it, it out there it. so this is
1: both fizzy and hot at the same time yeah, yeah I, well you know I've,
3: I've, I've just warmed it in the microwave it's it's yeah. like a um
0: oh sorry yeah. <laughs> that might
1: be on your bag a little bit that's later what's
0: gonna happen
3: sweet to the nose oh. mm. again it, again, oh. it's quite sweet it's, it's so quite I mean, a sweet one that one
0: it's the temperature of sick <laughs> 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 so it's just impossible
3: to ignore Well, that, that, that,
1: exactly that's, that's,
3: not, that's not a serving suggestion like uh, <laughs> serve, serve at body temperature that's the problem uh,
1: if it was hotter stomach then, stomach then it
2: would be hot if it was colder it would be cold but it is literally mouth temperature <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> and well, it's if, got that slightly kind of bile like fizzy quality that's,
3: like, it's actually just come back from your inside it's not sweeter than bile yeah yeah mm. no it's not it's not the it, 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 oh so, so what you're saying it's a bit like drinking a load of cider one evening <laughs> staggering home then being a little sick a, bit, a little bit sick in your mouth and going it doesn't taste that. bad
0: it's acidic quality nice <laughs> dissolving in <laughs> stomach acid
3: oh um, and this is 4% as well I think I'm drunk I think <laughs> I think it'd be I think it'd be quite warming, uh, like yeah. um, on a, on a, on a winter's evening. You
1: could for Before the summer pumpkin. you could you could serve it over ice, Is uh, the other oh oh actually.
3: oh that, that that's that's the other option. I, I don't know if you're getting the hint of um of vanilla and cinnamon in there. Well, no. Yeah, mainly just sugar really.
0: The weird thing is, it's fizzy and hot, and I, you know you sometimes think, <laughs> would it be nice to have a hot lemonade? <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and I, don't then, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it would. And the, and this is this is hot cider. Well,
3: well let's Then no, I mean and, and it wasn't a, it it wasn't a hit this winter, that's why that's why Morrisons were selling it at one pound a bottle. Any of these you'd purchase again? You'd you'd mix the berry cider with vodka, right? I would, yes. I'll be doing that. And I we. you know, personally, I'd I'd be tempted to mix the Seattle uh, latte with uh, with a couple of shots of Bailey's, and then yeah. I can take take it take it on the tube with with no <laughs> <laughs> or, or any any part of London Underground with no fear of uh of,
1: Yes. Would, you, would you inject the Bailey's into the foil lid oh, so nobody oh. would so even know it's an opened? Just leave them on the shelf. Go round. Yeah,
0: your A pick mixed. of
3: your pick of the non-sick temperature ones, Layla. <laughs>
0: A mixed bag, I think. I don't really see the point of a of a low calorie Lucasaid, um, but the the Starbucks thing I thought was surprisingly good. I mm-hmm. think I, would, I think I'd go for that if I was ever within, you know, couldn't get to a Starbucks in ten seconds. Then
3: the other one I spotted is that there's a little uh, double espresso in a can with like it's just oh yeah double espresso with milk. Didn't they, and, the...
0: and maybe while you're here, Dave, we should ask you about this. But wasn't there an experiment um, a while ago with Coffee in cans, and they had some sort of widget, in them. and then when you up. opened it, did, are they still around? Oh yeah. well,
3: you, sometimes <clears throat> you see them. Like uh, there was there was quite a high profile um, Nescafe experiment called Hot when you want it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was just it was just a kind of uh, simple exothermic reaction mm. that you could sort of set off in the bottom of the can. Or I, I, it was—it was more like it was like one of these uh, sort of Starbucks cups, yeah. and then the idea was that it would it would heat the drink. Did you but, ever try one? Uh, yeah, I I tried a couple. I mean, to be honest, what are the circumstances where you don't have access to a kettle? <laughs> 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 that appeared to be the unique market that that that, yeah, that, that, that they were targeting. Camping, but traveling extremely light. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that's true camping would be
3: useful. Or just really lazy. Yeah, and and but I think the problem was uh, that the, they didn't heat the the liquid very consistent. Mm. I I think, you know, it was very hard to get a, a consistent amount of heating from them. Mm. There's a brand of I think guaraná infused coffee called Rocket Fuel and they made still do a, a self-heating can. And you can still get you can get self-heating uh meals through sort of like army surplus places. So right. cheers, cheers listeners. Cheers. Good snacking till next time. Possums mm. <laughs> <laughs> up.
0: So, James, you were going to tell us about the origins of your daughter's names, I think.
2: Oh, right. (laughs) Well, yes, um... Daughter number two, who's who's very new, is called Florence, partly because we like the name Florence. Florence was about the only name we could actually agree on. But partly it is, from my perspective, after Florence Nightingale, who everyone thinks of as, you know, the lady with the lamb. Ooh, touchy-feely, nice health care stuff. Actually, massive maths geek. She was the first female member of the Royal College of Statisticians. She's Some people think she... Um, Created the pie chart, invented the pie chart. She didn't. QI lied to you. Uh, she popularized the use of the pie chart as, well as uh, visualizing raw data. Fantastically intelligent proto geek woman. But I think if you if you look at people and you know you track back to when they were born, you think, who were they named after? Who did they who did they look at for role models uh, growing up? Uh, it's you know this stuff's important. Yeah. We we do glom onto this. I mean, looking at yourself, yeah. I don't know. Did no. Eric Clapton no. uh, the Layla former?
0: I d- no, I d- I didn't even know what that meant. Re- you know, people would say, oh, you named after the Eric Clapton song. I'm saying, well, I don't really know what you're talking about. And then eventually, I did hear the song, and thought it's spelt differently, and it's a oh, different, of course you know, yes, it's, it's a
2: tricky spelling. Totally thing. That was the other thing. So. Again, names that were difficult for people to misspell. It kind oh, that's so,
0: important, so important.
2: And and whether the dot com's available as well so we've we've got the dot coms for both my daughters but I mean you look at Rue Rue is clearly has based his entire personality on the character from Winnie the Pooh (laughs)
0: Uh,
2: and Dave Green who as as you probably know is uh, named after Camberwick Green the uh, the TV series narrated by Brian Kant in the 60s and early 70s. Mm. And my first daughter, I, sh- I should say, she's called Eliza quite explicitly, and I was able to sneak this past my wife without her realising, <laughs> after the artificial intelligence programme from the mid-60s that mimics the behaviour of a Rogerian psychotherapist, yeah, it takes yeah. your input and converts it into a question and asks it back at I you. T- I
0: did wonder if that was what it was, because um, I, you didn't make a big deal of it anywhere and I sort of thought, maybe, it, maybe it's the Eliza programme, <laughs> maybe, maybe it isn't. Is it, well, like you kind again, of
1: it was, we
2: had a hard time finding girls names that we both liked yeah. but um, I think you know with, with a dad like me there's no question my daughters are going to be geeky on some level yeah. uh, and she's already showing vast interest in, in laptops and mobile phones and, and technology and building things and stuff like that which is great but also, I, I just thought, you know, something that takes your, your output and converts it into a question and fires it back at you, that's, that's a small child, pretty much. And it does turn out that if you name your daughter after a well-known chatbot, that just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs>
0: But I think Florence and Eliza are nice, a nice nice names. So I think so. Like
2: so. They've got, got that kind, good, of, they've kind of... They've got that slight Edwardian yes. thing yeah. going yeah. on, which I'm a huge P.G. Woodhouse fan, so uh. that works for me. But they're timeless as, as well. And they sit together very nicely. Mm. They're clearly sisters. They're they're mm. they're, 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 li- they're a linked pair. Your little babies, if if they can't... If there's nothing to like feed them with, if you just put your um, tip of your finger on against oh, the roof see. of their mouth, mm. um, they'll suckle on it quite cheerfully. <laughs> She's very, very good at putting <laughs> her finger in Floss's mouth and yeah. just having... And quiet, quietly oh, floss oh, now, well, which is great. It keeps both children occupied yeah, yeah. with no toys and no batteries. <laughs> plug
0: to one out. into the other one. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: and then. Well, maybe on that note, we should um, wrap up, and I'll say thanks very much, James. It's been fascinating as usual. Um,
2: and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. but <laughs> No, it's been wonderful. It's been <laughs> my pleasure. Anytime. Come shake your tail at me.
0: i computers.
3: That was Shift Run Stop, available on iTunes, all from the website shiftrunstop.co.uk. i computers.
0: I'm in computers.